When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Right on top of Caleb Rowe. Now the stage is a bit shifted over to the right this year. Change range. The 2 1 is a fly ball to deep center field. Way back. Way gone. What a shot by Bailey Hemphill over the 220 side and right at the straightaway center field camera for Mima ESPN. We're tied up at two here in the bottom of the first. And that is about where the stage was last year. So if it hadn't moved, right, that hits the top. Didn't think we'd get a Scooby-Doo reference in today, but hey, why not? That's just, that was my show. That was a good day. I don't know. I was uh, scrappy dude for Halloween one year. Oh, I need to hear about that. Right, <laughs> kids today—they don't understand what Halloween costumes were oh. back in the day. You had to if go. You, if you didn't sweat buckets and have fat problems breathing, you weren't wearing a good costume. <laughs> Welcome back to the Out of the Box podcast. It is episode three here as we are really diving into conference play across the college softball landscape. Gray Robertson here with you alongside my partner, Tom Canterbury. We are both much tanner than we were the last time we were in studio, Tom. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm now bronzing over after being a lobster for the last half of our trip out to Hawaii. But yeah, what a what a time. Oh, a time was had. Yes, Yes, (laughs) it was. uh, This is the out of the box podcast talking about Alabama softball, SEC softball and softball from around the country. Here is what we're going to do. Here is the rundown around the bases. We're going to start at the plate talking about our Hawaii trip and also touching on Missouri because we did not have a show after that Alabama sweep. Mm -hmm. Then we will advance to first break down some of the SEC action. A lot of surprises around the conference, including a team that is six and oh that nobody really saw coming except for maybe that one coach that yeah. picked them in the preseason. <laughs> yeah, you never ate. 
Tim Walton might know what he's talking about. We're going to steal second with Sydney Littlejohn, Alabama legend. She's a former All-American in the circle, and we're going to talk with her about a lot of Alabama things and just, you know, about the mindset in the circle and what this team has that could maybe propel them to Oklahoma City. We're going to round third and break down some of the RPI. The initial RPI is out, and the SEC really took a hit this time around. And we'll also use that segment to talk about replay in softball and see if that is something that needs to be put into the game. I bet Florida wants it right now. Um, I bet so. LSU wanted it for a bit. (laughs) And now now that, oh, no, we're good. No, it's fine. (laughs) And then we'll head home and make some picks for this weekend. Plus, the the off-the-wall segment is back. Oh, I got a good one. I'm looking forward to it. There is some good stuff that we can dive into. (laughs) But let's start first off by saying that uh, we send our thoughts to Allie Shipman, freshman catcher for Tennessee. Her sister Madison was on the previous episode of the show and Allie Shipman out for the year after a collision. I've heard she's in a boot and a cast of some kind and just brutal. So I texted Madison, told her that we were thinking about them and hoping that Allie gets better very, very soon. Yeah, that's and. In addition to you know, obviously the the personal issue with it, how how brutal is that for Tennessee? No, oh, it hurts. Yeah, I mean she had been so good for them, one of those freshmen that was going to compete with Montana Fouts for freshman of the year in the conference, and uh, and it, it, I think it, it really hurts Tennessee's just their their overall uh, c- capabilities. I think of maybe winning this conference. Yeah, she was hitting three twenty eight when she went down twenty. RBIs this year and three homers. So that is a big loss for the volunteers. And we certainly wish Allie Shipman a speedy recovery so that we can see her back on the diamond soon. But now let's talk about Hawaii. Mm. I've got it labeled as 12 dingers in paradise. I was going for a kind of Jimmy Buffett reference there. And of course that means 12 home runs, which is what Alabama hit over the six games, really 12 and five games, no home runs in the final contest against Hawaii it was an impressive display of power Tom from a variety of people over the week aloha means goodbye Greg yes it does and that's what it did and <laughs> and you know you look at the way that that stadium is is it's built to be a home run hitters ballpark Alabama took advantage of that but that being said I don't think there were many if any of those home runs that Alabama hit that were really aided by the short porches out there as it was 200 all the way around but you know you have the the weather the climate there uh, the zero humidity. So it's, you know, it's easy to get a ball up in the air and, and for it to go. So it was great to see Alabama take advantage of that. And then, you know, and, and you needed it. And then a couple of those games early on, I think when the, uh, the, the change in time and that type and the travel, I think was kind of catching up with Alabama a little bit in that first week in the first game or two uh, against SIUE and, and Niagara and Alabama need those home runs because the pitching wasn't as dominant as they were later on in the week. And uh, it was it was really great to see. And like you said, it was great to see it from a bunch of different people. Yeah. Home runs from Reagan Dykes, Maris Schroeder, Maddie Morgan, Claire Jenkins, Bailey Hempill, Kaylee Tao with three on the week and Caroline Hardy as well. And Kaylee Tao, after a couple quiet weeks where she just had a bunch of doubles, which right. we'll never complain about. No, yeah, absolutely. She has really, really gotten the long ball going as, you know, at the latter part of the Missouri series. And then in Hawaii, she had four hits on the weekend. Three of them were home runs. Right. If, and if she's not hitting a home run, she's being walked, which is good to see if you're the leadoff hitter. So it kind of it adds, you know, an, an extra degree to what she's able to do as as the number one person in the lineup. And when you take a look at her, you don't think necessarily because she's not the stolen base threat that Alyssa Brown is that, you know, is, is she the prototypical leadoff hitter? Maybe not. But she brings so much to that to that part of the lineup. 
Uh, I think you've really seen this offense take off since Patrick Murphy made that switch. Yeah, absolutely. Kaylee Tao with nine walks in Hawaii. Very impressive. We were not just there for softball, though. We also went and saw Pearl Harbor. Mm-hmm. We sat on the beach. We sat by the pool. So, Tom, let's have a little story time. Oh, yes. Your favorite moment from the Hawaii trip, non-softball related, non-softball related. would be? Oh, man. It's hard to pick one because there were so many there were so many cool things. Had the luau that we got to go and see. Uh, we found out that Tua is everyone's cousin in Hawaii. <laughs> I thought that was really cool. Uh, and then, you know, you mentioned Pearl Harbor. That's just uh, every American should should go to Pearl Harbor at some point. If you if you have absolutely any possible way you can get there, go do that, because it is uh, it really gives you a new uh, a new perspective on things. And it was just an amazing sobering, but an amazing uh, the landmarks and all the history there was great. And then uh, I, I got to climb up a, a volcano. Yes. Yes. I barely made it, but nope. I did make it in time. You made it, Tom. Yes. I saw the pictures. <laughs> <laughs> made it there, called my wife, and the first thing she said was, really? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm here. Uh, my favorite memory has to be the luau for unfortunate reasons oh, because no. yeah. I was pulled on stage mm. to dance, and I would like to shout out my onstage warriors, KB Sides, Kaylee Tao, and Sweet Claire Jenkins. Sweet, who, sweet Claire. Who, oh, no. Uh, in the video, if you look at it, boy, she did not want to get up on stage. <laughs> <laughs> she was glued to the seat, but that, that guy got her up there, and we all had to hula dance, and it was traumatic, maybe, mm-hmm. but really funny in retrospect. And just kind of a fun experience that I will never, I've never done. I probably never would have done and will probably never do again, but I can say I did it. See, well, where you made the mistake was you were trying to volunteer other people. Yeah, you're right. Never, never do that. Cause that's who they'll, they'll, they'll go after them. <laughs> they'll go after the people that are trying to volunteer others. I don't even remember who I was pointing at. I think it was Caroline Hardy. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And the guy or the woman, mm. excuse me, came over and grabbed my hand mm, and all right. just, a look of horror. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, it was fun. Good time. <laughs> so that trip came after the sweep of Missouri, which we didn't really have a chance to talk about on the podcast because we recorded last about two and a half weeks ago mm-hmm. and Alabama with a remarkable sweep over the Tigers, one in three completely different ways, again, using the long ball. And, you know, Missouri is not, you can't confuse Missouri with a top 10 team. But they've got a lot of talent, a lot of surprising talent that I was not expecting coming into that series. And I think overall, we're going to be looking back on that sweep as the moment where Alabama really introduced themselves as a contender because of how they won and the variety in which they won. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I mean, you look at the way that they won game number two, which was the uh, that, that was the uh, historic comeback. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's where, you know, Missouri scores six runs on top of the first inning and you know, had a seven nothing lead at one point and you really, well, well, it was a great (laughs) 26 game win streak or whatever it was to start off the year. But you know, sometimes you get hit, but it was great to see. We've talked about the resilience of this team all season long. And we've, we've got the stat that I know we're going to reference, but to see Alabama come back and, and once, once the first home run hit, and even though Alabama was still down by four or five at that point, you kind of felt like, I think Alabama was going to come back. Yeah, you know, well, you, you felt confident with it. Well, the the turning point. I was doing TV for that. And we commented on it that it was eight to three. I think it was Bailey Hempill just hit a home run. Right. And you looked at the dugouts. You would have thought Alabama was up ten nothing. Missouri looked very flat. They looked very defeated. They mm. they looked low energy. Alabama was singing, dancing, jumping around. That was the turning point to me. And that's what I think is different about this team. They just keep going. Yeah. And they are not 
I, the, the most subdued I've seen them all season long was on the bus coming back from Hawaii because everyone was asleep. <laughs> yeah, That's pretty much. It. Yeah. Um, and maybe the first game in Hawaii yeah. where it was, you know, you could tell that SIUE was, was much more excited at that point. And I, I think that was just because they had been there for a week and a half and they had been, uh, they had acclimated themselves to the, to the new area and, and the climate and everything so that they were fine with the time change. And Alabama was still trying to, trying to get over the jet lag of it. So I, I think that had a lot to do with it, but as far as I, I could totally agree. Like I said, I, I, you really thought once that once Bailey hit that home run and you could see the offense start, start moving a little bit that if, uh, if Sarah Cornell, which she was able to do can continue to pitch well and kind of keep Missouri from scoring anymore, Alabama was going to come back on them and, and Alabama was able to do that. You know, I think you have to give a lot of credit to Sarah Cornell as a, you know, pitched for the final four innings. She pitched uh, without giving up a run, kept Alabama with the opportunity to have that comeback with the bats and, and then, you know, once it got rolling, it was rolling. Yeah. And then the next day coming in in relief of Montana Fouts and pitching superbly as well. So Sarah Cornell against Missouri was also a big revelation. Mm-hmm. And that kind of takes us into this weekend, Texas A&M coming up into the pitching rotation. You know, we know Montana Fouts is going to go Friday, Sunday, pretty much all year, barring injury, which right. hope it doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. But Sarah Cornell I think has definitely earned that game to start spot. The only reason you might not do it is because she has been so good in relief all year. But if she's one of your two best arms and it, by all indication, she is, I don't know how Patrick Murphy cannot start her in that second game against Texas A&M. Yeah. I mean, you can still, and even if she does start in that second game, that doesn't mean she can't come in like with Montana Fouts in, in game number three. Right. Uh, it's just, you know, you're not making her pitch seven innings. It's only you know, a couple. And if, if Montana needs that, then you can do that. But yeah, I agree. I think, I think Sarah should be the first, should be the Saturday starter. Um, unless there is just a matchup that absolutely worked for one of the other three pitchers on the, on the team. Um, which I think was the case why Courtney Geddens got the start in game number two against Missouri. But I think you'll, you'll see uh, Cornell get the start and then have Courtney come in relief of Sarah if necessary uh, moving forward. And do you think we will see more of Crystal Goodman? Because uh, she did not appear against Missouri. Right. And we've seen her pitch well. She's got the second best ERA on the team right now. Yeah. But I, I'm not sure if I've seen enough variety in her pitches yet that would translate against sec hitters because non-conference hitters they're fine alabama's schedule has allowed for a little bit lesser competition than most of the other sec teams in terms of not playing as many top 25 games Mm. but it's a different animal once you're in conference sure yeah i I think we could see her but i doubt you we will see her see a batter twice Mm -hmm. i I think it may be a spot situation uh, you know maybe an inning or two here and there but i don't think you'll see another a batter get a chance to see her a second time through the order, unless it is just a, is a blowout situation. Uh, I think she has the capability to do it. I just don't know if she's quite there confidence wise and mentally able to do it at this point in her, in her development. Now, I think, you know, you take a look at maybe next year after she's gone through it a year and is more comfortable. I think maybe, maybe then she can kind of step in. Uh, but I think now you use her more, you know, she can be the, the main midweek person and then allow her and, along with her, Madison Preston and Courtney Geddens can be a situational within conference play. So we'll see how all of that breaks down. The good news is when the pitching has been iffy and that has happened occasionally this year, the hitting has been spectacular. Yeah. So here's what we know. Surprising batting averages this year. Tom quiz who has the second best batting average on the team. I only know this because you asked me this on Saturday yes, I did. during the game. And unless it's changed, I'm going to go with Maddie Morgan. That is correct. 353 this year. 
Maddie Morgan, again, we talked about her defensively in the broadcast. Offensively, though, especially lately, she has really come on, and that is huge for Patrick Murphy. Oh, yeah, and that that was one of the things I remember we were uh, talking before the season ever started. We were trying to come up with who who the starting nine would be for this team, and it was one of those where you were trying to find the third baseman. Mm-hmm. The, 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 everybody else was pretty much pretty much said, and you know we didn't we didn't really realize that Kay, that Kaylee Tao was going to be the first baseman, although we knew it was going to be a possibility because Patrick Murphy told us in the uh, in the, our first podcast. But if you didn't have her there, we were, and then I was and I remember saying, well, Maddie Morgan's available, and we were all kind of like, well, yeah, but she she struggled in that freshman year, and that's she's and she's really made a jump. It's going to be hard for her to solidify herself in this lineup. Well, she's really made that jump, and she is. Uh, she has become a revelation to where, you know, you're not just hoping to get her to turn over the lineup. She's knocking in runs. Yep. She's scoring those runs. And, it, and we're, we're now not looking at where are the holes in the lineup. You're just going right through everything. And, and how, how do you even, how do you put in everybody? Right. I mean, <laughs> there are more than nine that, that should be hitting every game. Yes. It's amazing. And then you talk about Reagan Dykes, 346. I mean, are right. you kidding me? That just remarkable. And sh- again, another player last couple weeks really gotten it going, and we've seen the power come back for Reagan Dykes. And look where those home runs have come: grand slams, a three-run homer in Mississippi. I mean, in, in, from Mississippi in Hawaii. <laughs> uh, you know that they're coming at big times. You know, it's one thing if you hit twelve home runs and most of them are solo shots. Right. A lot. You know, we've had three grand slams in the last two weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I, one of my favorite stats is Alabama's hit 60, 66 home run, 66 grand slams in program history. And three of them have come in the last two weeks. You know, you have that it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, and she almost hit another one. It was a three run shot. Cause there was a RBI ground out before she came up in Hawaii. So uh, it's doing it at the, at the right times too. Alabama's doing a lot of scoring in the second inning. And so that, that is putting uh, teams on the defensive early on. So Alabama's jumping out on people. And and then, as we've talked about, the resiliency stat. Yeah, 50-plus runs in the second inning this year, scoring in that inning 10 straight games, which is remarkable. And you have to look at it because in most of those games, top of the order is not doing much. Right. So you're seeing four, five, six Schroeder, Dykes, and Claire Jenkins, who is somehow only batting 300. It feels <laughs> a lot higher. Right. They have been huge. And then you got the bottom of the order that's also been pretty good, Alyssa Brown, Skylar Wallace. And then the second time through the order, that top of the order has been usually really good. And they're coming up usually with Wallace or Brown on base. And then, right. and then the, and the, the defense is in trouble. And the offense is working just as it's drawn up on the board. It's <laughs> great to see because it's, it's been a while since we've seen that. Yeah. So let's take a look at the A&M series. Is this a perfect matchup? following Hawaii because last year Tennessee did this went on the road to South Carolina at the time we didn't know how good they were right South but, Carolina ended up being a super regional team yeah very good team nine overall seed they got swept a lot of people were worried about Alabama because of that fact I'm not concerned because A&M is not very good at least in the RPI but we've also watched them a bit and they've struggled in certain games I think this matches up perfectly for Alabama because the Aggies don't have They've got depth in the circle, but not good depth. They've mm-hmm. got a bunch of okay pitchers, and I think Alabama can really take advantage of that. Yeah, and that's one of the things we saw in Hawaii that, uh, that I talked with Coach Murphy about in one of the pregame interviews was, I think it was when Niagara brought in a second pitcher, and she was a totally different pitcher than the first one was, and Alabama made immediate adjustments to it. Like, there was no drop-off one way or the other. And I, I, would, I think I would like to see if Alabama can do that against a, a conference team like a like you said, 
the depth isn't as good as somewhere else, but it's going to be better than what we saw in Hawaii. So if Alabama can do that, uh, I agree. I think this is a good matchup. I wish it was at home. That's that's the only yeah. thing that makes it not a perfect matchup as far as I'm concerned. If Alabama was facing somebody like Texas A&M at home, I would have zero concern about it. The fact that you're having to get back up on, on an airplane and, and go uh, back again after you've spent literally 24 hours <laughs> <laughs> coming home less than a week ago. Uh, but I think I really think that's one of the reasons why Patrick Murphy, we decided to do the red eye right after the game on Saturday, get back as soon as possible. So you can try to get back on, on mainland time and get your body back on, on normal sleep and, and everything as quickly as possible. If, if the girls did what they're supposed to do, as far as that goes, maintenance wise, uh, I think we'll be fine. Do you have any concerns about that at all from a pitching standpoint? Do you think that the wear and tear of the travel could affect the pitching? I'm not overly concerned about that. Because, again, you've got the depth. If someone is struggling, you can put in somebody for an inning or two. Yeah, I, I, I think we're okay as far as that goes because there aren't any linger, lingering, nagging injuries that we're aware of. That was the one thing that if it was last year and Alexis Osorio was in this situation, I'd be more concerned because she had those nagging and lingering injuries. Right. As far as we know, as we knock on wood, none of the five pitchers have those right now. So I, I, I don't foresee that being an issue. Like I said, the main thing is is just keeping the focus and not just being overly tired at the plate is what I'm is what I'm most concerned about. And we get to see Davis Diamond and call a game in there. Very excited to not be outside under a speaker for a <laughs> for for an <laughs> SEC series uh, like I was last time I had to go to College Station. And I'm I'm just I'm very excited to see what this place is. The Taj Mahal of it uh, looks beautiful. College softball. Yeah. From from seeing it on TV. I'm, I'm very excited. Yeah. Should be a lot of fun. That is Alabama's second SEC series of the year. That's coming up this weekend. Yeah. No, no more fun and games. Nope. No, the, <laughs> into the uh, into the grind now. Yeah. The shenanigans are done, Tom. Yes. It's time to really get into it. And the rest of the SEC has had a big last couple weeks. And we're going to break that down in just a second because we've put it in play and it's time to advance to first. Let's talk about Florida, LSU, Tennessee, everybody else in the southeastern conference when we come back here on the out of the box podcast episode three play and now we're advancing to first here on the out of the box podcast gray robertson and tom canterbury here with you we just talked about the alabama crimson tide and their 31 and 0 start but there are 12 other teams in the sec so it's time to break down what's going on in the southeastern conference and we will start with the biggest series of this past weekend that was lsu hosting florida saturday sunday monday it was thrilling we stayed up to date with it on stat broadcast on Saturday. We watched a bit of it on Sunday, and then we watched the entire game on Monday, Tom. LSU won the series 2-1. They won the Sunday-Monday games, Sunday in run-rule fashion, and it was really just it was fascinating to watch and to see Florida really struggle to get hits. I mean, we'd heard about it. I'd looked at the stats. It was the first time I'd actually really sat down and watched an entire Florida game. And man, they really struggle once you get past Lorenz and Lindemann. Lindemann drove in all six runs on the weekend, and that's it. Yeah, and it, it's weird to see that with Florida because they've always been such a, a really good all, all through the lineup offensive team. And they have the talent to be that. They're just kind of all kind of in one of those collective slumps at the same time. And it's not at a very good time as you're in, entering into conference play when you have to go on the, or excuse me, you host two of the top teams to start off the, the conference slate hosting uh, Tennessee and then going on the road to LSU. So it, a tough time for some of those other 
batters to go into a slump and combine that with what's going on in the circle other than what Kelly Barnhill brings. While it is surprising to see Florida at two and four in the conference, considering who they played and how things have gone, it's not that all, all that shocking. No, it's not. And I think it's more just surprising to see how the games have gone. You know, you saw Kelly Barnhill get walked off on Monday night against LSU. Mm. You saw the Tennessee run rule, Kelly Barnhill, and weekend one, Natalie Lugo has not gotten offensive help, and Tim Walton has had a very short leash on her, pulling her immediately if she gives up any kind of runs at all. I think knowing how much the offense is struggling, I mean, I don't know if we can call it a slump, but they just seem sluggish and they're not really doing anything as a team. And, you know, we're obviously early, but you have to think that the the streak of winning the league so many times in a row is in jeopardy with four early losses against two major contenders in the SEC. If if only someone on this podcast had predicted that Florida was not <laughs> going to win the SEC this year, that would that person would seem very smart right now. Didn't I do that? I don't I don't no, think so. I didn't. No. You're right. <laughs> you, <laughs> you have two choices and you missed the first one. Uh, but yeah, but that being said, I, I, I think Florida is going to be there at the end. I think they're going to figure out some of these issues, but that we've said it from the beginning too, that Kelly Barnhill, once you've gone through her one time, if she has to pitch in the second game, which she's obviously going to have to do here in conference play, she becomes much more hittable. I think she's getting worn out. Mm-hmm. I, I think she's been burnt out. Not only how much she's been having to pitch here this week, but then or this season so far, she had very little of an off season because she was pitching with Team USA. She's been the the workhorse now. This is a fourth year of the workhorse at, at Florida. Uh, I I think she's just her her body is I think is kind of kind of reaching that that point. Yeah, first in the SEC in innings pitched at ninety six. Man, how would they have beaten Illinois State all those times if she hadn't been pitching? <laughs> That's the main question I have. Uh, yes, the budding rivalry in the Southeastern <laughs> Conference. Right. You know, the most fascinating midweek game, maybe in the country, and I haven't looked at the full national slate, but certainly in the SEC, Minnesota, a team we're familiar with, traveling to Gainesville, playing Florida on SEC Network Wednesday night. Minnesota knows it's going to be hot in Gainesville, don't they? I hope so. Bring, they, bring all the fans. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to struggle as far as that goes. And interesting that they'll be facing Kendall Lindemann. Yeah, that is. That is interesting. And we'll see if Amber Pfizer can back up the performance that we saw from her in Tuscaloosa. It would certainly help us. Yes, it would. And I don't know who I would pick here because I think this is a really big litmus test for the Florida offense. You know, see if it it's just SEC pitching they're struggling against or, you know, against Amber Pfizer, who you've said many times you think is the best pitcher in the Big Ten. I would right. put her top two for sure. Yeah, this is a big test for the Gators offense. Yeah, that's it's very interesting. I'll have to see how this turns out. And uh, I think a lot of it, you know, sometimes talk about people have the book on pitchers the second or third time through. Uh, I think the pitchers are getting the books on some of these Florida hitters mm-hmm. is part of the issue. Now, if you're somebody like like Lorenz, you know, you know what I'm going to do and I'm still going to do it. Yeah. But, you know, we'll see what happens after you get past those first two. So that was one of the more interesting series this past weekend, LSU getting two of three against Florida. The other one, I don't know if I would call it a shocker because I felt like we've discussed it enough to the point where we saw it coming, but a lot of people were very surprised to see Missouri in Columbia get two of three against Georgia. Yeah, And Georgia, it is blatantly obvious we watched the Saturday game. It is very obvious they've got some issues they have to figure out. Because there is something off about that team. When the pitching is doing well, like it was in game one in the one nothing victory, hitting is not there. When the pitching is not doing well, the hitting is there. They can't seem to get mm. in sync together. 
which frankly reminds me of Alabama last year. Yeah. You know, where you, you had some great performances in the circle and the, the offense didn't, did not produce. And in the times where the offense was producing, the pitching wasn't there. You're, now, I, I think that's kind of a similar situation, what you got, got going on with Georgia. I remember we said in our first preview episode that uh, I thought George, I thought Georgia's going to win a lot of games, 10 to eight, those type of games, but the offense has not shown up to be able to do that yet. No, and surprising losses as well recently to Elon, right? What and North Carolina, who is okay, but you know mm-hmm. you're not supposed to get shut out by North Carolina or shut out for most of the game and then score a run late. But that's not supposed to happen if you're no. Georgia. You're looking at Georgia's schedule, and they should be right there with Alabama mm-hmm. as far as the streak going on right now. But yeah, they 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 lost to some of those cupcakes <laughs> moving forward, and uh, I, I think that that showed some of the. Uh, some of the problems with this team yeah and as for missouri we said they were going to get some people i I have been very impressed i didn't know if if they would win i wasn't saying they were going to win series i thought thought (laughs) they were going to win they were not going to be swept in some of these these conference uh, series so it was great to see that and i think uh, larissa anderson needed that over at missouri to get that win and kind of get things rolling in columbia and they've they've got the hitting that that, you know it's just they're not going to have the consistent pitching i think this year to be able to if they were even eligible to uh, to contend, but they have enough hitting where they're going to get some people moving moving on and really hurt Georgia to start things off. Well, speaking of a team that's rolling, the Kentucky Wildcats. Mm. How six and zero in the SEC? Autumn Humes, ladies and gentlemen, SEC play ERA point three four. Wow, un. Real. This is a team that is undefeated for the first time, six and zero for the first time in school history in conference play. And the slate coming up, Tom: Missouri at home, at Arkansas, Ole Miss at home. Nothing is easy in the SEC, but in terms of manageable upcoming slates, it doesn't get much better than that. All of a sudden, could we be looking at Tim Walton being right and Kentucky being a legitimate threat? to win this conference. Yeah, I think so. Especially when you look at what they were able to do against what we've, what we labeled as the toughest non-conference schedule in the history of collegiate <laughs> softball. seems though they played every top 10 team that there was. And so, and that, and they got some wins in that pre-conference schedule, but you know, they were just barely above 500, but now they're into the conference slate and uh, got the, I, I was, I'm still very impressed, even though South Carolina has obviously struggled now out of the gate as, as they lost another series this past weekend. Uh, but to go on the road and get a sweep there for Kentucky in week one and then to, to come home and take care of business against Mississippi State, including a, a huge comeback against the Bulldogs, very similar to what Alabama did against Missouri. Yeah, and yeah, Abby Cheek continues to be dominant, a 471 batting average with six home runs this year. Just impressive all around and again autumn humes you know we said in the preseason on the first episode of this podcast we think kentucky's pitching is deep but not good enough to make a run if autumn humes keeps pitching like this then they are wow yeah you know it's a you can't win championships in february and march but you can you can really hurt yourself in far as far as going to get one and teams like Kentucky, teams like Alabama have put themselves in the best situation possible. Yeah, one team that has really just hurt me to my core <laughs> because there's nothing I hate more. Well, there are a lot of things I don't like, but I really don't like being wrong. Yeah. I yeah. have I've been wrong here, Tom. This is it not, happens. It's okay. This is not my best pick. Arkansas <laughs> has really, really struggled. And, you know, we're gonna talk to Sydney Littlejohn in a little bit about Mary half and 
you know, the sophomore slump and how real that is. But she has struggled, you know, against South Carolina, went eight and a third, gave up six hits, seven runs, all earned five walks, which does not sound like a lot. But it's a ton for Mary Half in a weekend. 10 strikeouts. The ERA right now is at 209. That is uh, way higher than last year, which was at 151 at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. 209, before you've really gotten into the meat of conference play, is not a great sign because you know that number will get higher. I'm concerned for this team. I think we're getting to the point where it doesn't look like they're going to host regionals unless they figure out something in the circle because they clearly don't have the depth behind Autumn Storms and Mary Half to bring somebody in and try and save a game if either of them or both of them are off one day. Yeah, I think really, as much as we're talking about Mary Half, I think Autumn Storms is is another person that we need to be looking at because you really need that two-headed monster in that situation, especially when someone is coming into their sophomore year. They've had a dominant freshman year, but now everyone has, has a book on them. You want to be able to let Mary Half know it's not all on you. It's, but Autumn Sorbens hasn't really been able to uh, to step in and be that be a consistent number two for, for Half when she is struggling. So I think that has as much to do with it as anything. And again, you know, the, in terms of depth at Arkansas, Here's the innings pitched number by that staff. Autumn Storms, 92 and two-thirds, mm-hmm. which again, high for lot. 28 games. Yep, yep. Mary Half, 83 and two-thirds. The next highest is Lauren Graves, five innings pitched. Mm. I, I think if anything has shown us the, the evolution of the game of collegiate softball is that you need at least three. You, yeah, as, as far as that, I can really come in and you can, if, all right, you got to start today that you can rely on at least to, to not get, get shelled. And, you know, two is just not going to get done anymore. No, Arkansas did get two of three against South Carolina. It was not pretty, but now Arkansas at three and three with some obvious issues, South Carolina at one and five, that was a team that neither of us really bought in the preseason. Mm -hmm. So we saw what they did last year. They brought basically everybody back and now they're not where they were a year ago. So are we looking at what last year was as kind of a flash in the pan, or is this teams figuring them out more? Because it, it is now clear that these are not two teams that are going to win this conference this season. Maybe a little complacency, just not knowing how to accept the uh, the new uh, expectations. Hmm. I think could I, I think a lot of it is mental in that situation. That's what I've seen a lot with Alabama this year was that this team is not going to accept losing. This team is not. This team is. We've talked about it. They'll take it personally if the opponent scores on them. And I, I, I don't think, obviously, Arkansas and South Carolina are not at that mental level right now. Yeah, and I think you know just uncertainty everywhere. You know, pitching for South Carolina has been a bit rough. The defense for Arkansas has not been sharp at all. You know, you've seen way too many errors for the Hogs this year. Forty-two. Ooh. By the defense. Yeah. That's in 28 games. That's not helping your pitchers either. No. Obviously, if you're not, if you're a pitcher out there and you're not able to trust that your defense is going to be able to make even the the routine plays, and so now I got to strike everyone out to make sure that we get the three at quick outs, uh, you're putting even more pressure on yourself, and that, that could be an issue right now with Mary Half as well. Yeah, and South Carolina pitching wise, best ERA on the team, Carly Heath at two one zero. So those are two teams that are struggling. We'll see if they can turn it around as we get into the middle part of conference play. Don't, don't trust new money, Gray. No. Don't trust nope. it. What, East Egg, right? <laughs> right yes. yes. 
We got a great Gatsby reference in for you, folks. <laughs> All right, and finally, let's talk about Tennessee. They just a few moments ago, as we're recording, beat Liberty one nothing. They split with Tennessee this past weekend in Knoxville and got some big wins against BYU, but they lost Allie Shipman. You know, you said that might hurt them going forward. You know, we know that their pitching's going to be fine, but they've had some injury issues this year, and that seems to be the only thing that could derail them yeah. because they seem strong all the way around. That's the great equalizer. If if, if everyone's at a hundred percent, then yeah, Tennessee is uh, is right there, and I still I still think they're they're in a good position in the conference for sure. And you've already gotten past Florida if you're Tennessee. You have the the tiebreaker with them. Um, you don't have to play Alabama. Uh, does Tennessee play Kentucky this year? Not sure. I will check right now. Okay. So, it, you know, if you're not having to play Kentucky, you know, you're, you're, you're pretty much set right now. Yeah, they are. Right, so coming up for Tennessee, Arkansas at home at Missouri, Auburn at home, Mississippi state at home at Georgia, at Ole Miss A&M at home. Right. That that's another reason why I picked Tennessee was like, and look at their conference slate is it's not the toughest and they've already gotten past Florida. Auburn's not going to be easy. Um, Georgia, we don't know. At Georgia is tough, yeah. but they also lost to Elon right. at Jack Turner Stadium. Sure. So, you know, it, it, it sets up nicely for them even to deal with this, this shipment injury. But I mean, when, when you have a freshman that's able to do what she was able to do, she was, like I said, I think she was going to go neck and neck with Montana Fouts for freshman of the year uh, in the conference. But now that, that she's out, you know, you, you got to be able to, to replace that. So it, it, it could be a definite issue for them, but the, they're going to be okay. Before we get a break, I want to ask about Ole Miss. We have not talked about the Rebels really at all. I mean, when we did the preview segment in the first episode, we talked about Ole Miss for five seconds, and that five seconds was, is Caitlin Lee gone? Yes, good. Good. They're <laughs> wonderful. But moving on, they're in the top 25 now. Yeah. We saw them get two games off of Oklahoma State this weekend and Impressively. in big fashion. Yeah. yeah. Is this a team that all of a sudden. You know, they also got two of three against Arkansas opening week of conference play. Is this a team that could be what I thought maybe Mississippi State would be in terms of a team that could not win the league, but dictate who does? Yeah, they could definitely sit in that spoiler position if they were to get a series against one of the top teams that is that is vying for the championship. They could have a, 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 a say in it. Uh, pull up their their conference schedule right. real quick and let's look what the Rebels have in front of them. Because uh, again, a lot of this comes down with with who you play and when when do you play them. So they go they go to South Carolina this weekend. We'll pick that later on in the show. Mm-hmm. Florida at home. I think that's going to be a really interesting test for Florida again yeah. at Kentucky, Missouri at home at Mississippi State, Tennessee at home at Georgia. Not easy, but no. winnable games in there against good competition. Right, they're going to have to take care of you know take care of what what they can against Missouri against Missouri against Mississippi State. Um, you know, try to pile up, kept, you know, even this weekend against South Carolina, it's an interesting time to be playing South Carolina too. Yeah. That's going to be, I think, I think we'll be able to say a lot more about Ole Miss after this weekend. Well, we'll certainly find out and we'll be picking all of those weekend series later on in the show. That is the discussion about the Southeastern conference and the start to conference play that has been. Now we're going to talk about the start that has been for Alabama. We're going to break down Montana Fouts in the circle. We're going to talk about a lot of college softball headlines news and notes and we're going to do that as we steal second with sydney little john because we've got the green light tom we we've got the green light and we are going to steal second sydney little john coming up after the break here on the out of the box podcast episode three
Welcome back to the Out of the Box podcast. We are stealing second here on the show. Gray Robertson, Tom Canterbury here with you. And we are stealing second with an Alabama legend, a former All-American, All-SEC pitcher, fifth in Alabama history in ERA, sixth in wins all time. She is one of our favorites on social media and in the crowd at Rhodes as well. Miss Sydney Littlejohn. Sydney, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Well, we're excited to chat with you, and I know you're pumped about what you've seen from Patrick Murphy's squad this year. 31-0, an incredible start to the season, the best in school history. And, you know, I'm sure you've watched some of the games on TV. You've been to Oklahoma City a couple times in your career as well. What qualities do you see in this year's team that mirror some of the teams that you played on that went to the World Series? So, first of all, I'm going to say proud alum super proud alum, super proud of these girls and, you know, all that they've been through, all that they've worked for, you know, this is just kind of reaping their harvest that they worked so hard for in the fall, in the off season, you know, all the extra work that they've put in, it's starting to kind of come to fruition. And one of the things that I think really sticks out to me um, that sets them apart from, you know, teams in the past or comparing them to World Series teams that we've had in the past is their fight and their ability to fight back. Uh, you know, I've heard you guys mention the stat several times of anytime anybody else scores, Alabama's coming right behind them, either scoring the same amount or even scoring more runs. And I think that is a really, really big attribute. And, you know, the thing, too, that I think is really cool is at least through the lineup, like everybody brings something different to the table, and then they all bring value. And they also, like, there's a different hero every game. You know, everybody has the capability with a bat in their hand, with a ball in their hand, they can make a difference to the team. It's not just one person or two people. It's all across the board. One of the uh, other big names on this team that have come in this year, the freshman uh, Montana Fouts in the circle. She's been uh, just absolutely as advertised, living up to all the hype so far. Uh, what have you seen from her, and, and what kind of jumps out at you, at you as a former pitcher when you're watching Montana Fouts in the circle? So, for me, it's a little bit different because I remember Montana coming to the Alabama camps, you know, whenever I was in school, I remember her being recruited. And so, it's been super fun watching her grow up and come into this position and just rock it. I mean, she. She's bringing a lot of stuff that, you know, hitters don't know what to do with. And I think, you know, what she's been doing with Steph and working together with all the other pitchers, you know, she's really cohesive with the rest of the team. And I think she brings a lot of different things to the table. And what's scary is, like, she's probably not even her best yet. You know, she works extremely hard. And if I know her, I know she's probably a little bit harder on herself. She probably thinks that she could be so much better. And I know Steph probably expects better of her even though what she's already brought is, you know, almost untouchable. But, you know, she's just going to get better as she progresses through her career, and there's no doubt in my mind about that. So I think, you know, she's definitely a match in what she brings and the personality that she brings and how she's able to carry herself in the game. You know, she, she doesn't look like a freshman out there, and, and the team doesn't treat her like a freshman. You know, they treat, treat her as a leader and – She's able to carry a team. She's able to handle, you know, the mental aspect. You know, I know we just kind of got into SEC, so everybody's like, oh, how's she going to do in SEC? But you've seen how she's been able to handle the difficult situations. And, you know, she does fine, and she trusts her abilities. She trusts what her and Steph have been working on. 
from day one. And I think that brings brings it all full circle to where she's able to produce, you know, in good situations and bad situations. You know, we heard her C game and it wasn't even a C game. Like her C game <laughs> is like my A plus. So I don't know what, <laughs> what her deal is, but I think it's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. You're right about what you're talking about kind of being hard on herself. I remember after the Hawaii game that she goes through, she pitches a uh, five inning shutout. Uh, and she's complaining about the two hits that she gave up. They were both hard hit up the middle. She's like, well, they shouldn't have hit those up the middle on me. And that's what, that's what she was, she was focused on. Not the fact that she just ran through a really good hitting Hawaii team. Wow. And see, I think she does a really good job of balancing it too. Like, you know, she's very humble as, you know, she did just pitch a great game, but she knows that she can make it better. Yeah. So I think that'll be a great quality as she progresses through her career. And she's one of five pitchers on the Alabama staff. And we've talked a lot about the pitching depth, but how different is it for a quote unquote ace when you've got four pitchers behind you in a staff of five, as opposed to teams that usually have three pitchers, maybe four, uh, occasionally just two arms that you can rely on. How, how big is it for Montana Fouts that she has so many people behind her that can pick her up if she has an off game? So I think it's great. You know, during my career, we really only had three at a time, um, four sometimes, but we really only had three. And what you get with that is always indefinite. You know, what if somebody's not not feeling well? You know, it's a long season. The grind catches up with you, you know, especially as you get older as a pitcher, and I'm sure Courtney has felt this, you know, that senior body, it, it hits you pretty hard, you know, and you've been working through this all your life. And so your body gets tired at times. And I think with having five pitchers, you know, not only do you have a fresh arm available pretty much at all times, but coach Murphy's going to be able to throw in whatever pitcher he wants against whatever matchup, whatever the best matchup is. Cause like, I know for me, you know, Georgia, for instance, always had my number. So I, I did not match up well with them. But we had to deal with it because we only had three pitchers at a time. You know, where they have five, so even if, I, you know, they don't match up with one person, or if they match up with one person, well, he's got four other options to throw at him that'll throw them off. And I just think they're going to be able to kind of keep offenses at bay in that way. And I think... You know, with this high-scoring offense, I don't see any reason why they won't be able to keep their streak going and keep doing well. I just want to ask you about some of your, your time at Alabama and kind of tying into that. You mentioned the high-power the high power offense that Alabama has going right now. Wasn't always the case when you were pitching with the, with the Crimson Tide. I think your, your senior year, uh, you would have been an All-American had you gotten a little bit more... Uh, offensive production behind you and just wanted to ask you about what wh- how about the the importance of focusing on pitching uh pitching well when you're maybe not getting a lot of the run support so you know it, it comes in waves hitting comes in waves hitting is contagious but i mean it all starts from the circle um i think you know if your offense isn't producing a pitcher does need to be able to carry her team and you'll be able to look to their defense and say you know what hey we may not have scored the past five innings, but I'm going to hold them. I got you. I believe in you. I trust you. We're going to make it through this. Even though the outcome is not always, you know, what you want. I mean, you just, you have to continue to have that confidence in your team because there's going to be a streak of games too. I mean, where every pitcher, they just can't get it together. And that, that happens. And it happens with offenses too. And you know, there may have been some issues during my senior year, but I mean, 
the trust in, that I had in my team never wavered. And I think now what we're seeing is, you know, all those lessons that they learned from that year. And in previous years where we haven't exactly scored as many runs, like they, they've gotten it together and it's all just kind of firing on all cylinders now. And, um, you know, I think too is with all these pitchers, you know, with their, you know, you don't have Alexis Osorio, you don't have the Jackie Trainer who, I mean, you do have Montana, but, you know, at the beginning of this year, nobody knew who was going to be the number one. So the hitters, you know, kind of have to work a little bit harder, like, okay, well, we don't know what exactly what we're going to get. But, I mean, of course, there's no doubt that they're going to get somebody good. I mean, Steph has produced <laughs> All-Americans pretty much all that he's been there. So, yes. I mean, there's no doubt there. There's a lot they of common denominators there for sure. Of, right. And so, you know, it just kind of promotes that, okay, well, this is the year that we're going to back our pitchers up. We're stealing and second. I think they've done a fabulous job of that. We're stealing second here with Sydney Littlejohn on the Out of the Box podcast. Sydney, a team that has seen some difficulties producing runs and has had to rely on one pitcher a lot this year is Florida. And I don't know how much you've seen of the Gators, but it, it, it appears clear that Kelly Barnhill really doesn't have anyone behind her that Tim Walton trusts to pitch an entire game. Because we've seen Natalie Lugo come in, throw maybe three innings in conference play, and then get pulled after she's had a couple home runs hit off her. How much have you seen of Florida, and do you think that this is the year that their reign of winning the conference finally comes to an end? So, you know, obviously my time has been mainly consumed by watching the Alabama, Alabama games, and I'm not biased or anything. <laughs> But uh, the Florida games that I have watched, you know, I have watched them quite a bit. And I think it's just a mental adjustment for Kelly Barnhill. Um, you know, she's probably in a situation where she feels more pressure. Cause, you know, now she's an upperclassman and she has to produce. She probably feels like she has to produce for her team to win. And, you know, that's a really tough situation to be in. If you feel like nobody can back you up or that they're just not ready yet. You know, it's a tough position to be in because you feel like it all falls on you. And, you know, it's a different position than she's been in in the past, so she's pro- it's probably an adjustment period for her. Um, but, I mean, she is one of the best, and so I'm sure that, you know, she's been working hard, and, you know, they're Florida always finds a way. They always find a way to win. They're always there, you know, to the bitter end. And so <laughs> I'm sure one of the new pitchers is going to find their groove and come in and be able to be that number two. Um, but for now, I think it's just an adjustment period, not only for Kelly, but for their team as a whole. And, you know, they're kind of having to find their identity right now. So another pitcher we've seen kind of struggle this year in the conference has been Mary Half, who had such a great freshman year at Arkansas, but she struggled here in her sophomore campaign. Um, how legitimate is a, is really the sophomore slump and, you know, how much of a jump is it go from, from being such a, a really good freshman pitcher to that sophomore. Well, let me tell you, the sophomore slump is a real thing. And I, <laughs> you know, I went through it. Um, Alexis went through it. But I really think it's mainly a mental adjustment. Because, you know, your freshman year, you come in, and this is going to sound kind of harsh, but you're kind of expected to screw up. As a pitcher, you're expected to make those freshman mistakes. You're expected to miss pitches. And then if you don't, you know, it's just a great outcome and, you know, you build your confidence Well, you come in your sophomore year and everybody has film on you that they've been studying and they're coming after you. You have that target on your back. So they know your best pitches. They know your weaknesses. They've seen you over and over and over and over again. 
And, you know, you have this expectation that, you know, you're not going to make those freshman mistakes because you're not a freshman anymore. So I think it's, it's a lot, again, it's a lot of mental pressure and it's a mental adjustment. And so I think that's why, you know, after the sophomore year, a lot of pitchers, I mean, it, I'll use myself as an example. I came, came back and had a breakout year my junior year, and Alexis did the same. You know, I think that junior year is where you kind of get it like, oh, okay, I can trust my stuff. Um, now for Mary Half, you know, she did have a phenomenal freshman year. Do I, I don't think it'll take her her whole sophomore year to make that adjustment. Uh, you know, she probably is just in that adjustment period right now, but in the start of SEC, you know, it's a whole new season for them. And she knows that her team is depending on her and, you know, she carries the load. And so I think, you know, she's, she's going to rise to the challenge and she's going to step up and she's going to be able to do it. But it is an adjustment for sure. One of the better freshman pitchers in the league so far has been Shelby Wickersham at LSU, and she got the start last night against Florida in a crazy game that had some controversial calls around the sixth inning that had you know Beth Moens and Michelle Smith talking about the need for replay in college softball. And I saw a lot of people on social media, Haley McClenney included, who said college softball needs replay. Where do you stand on that? Yeah, I, I go back and forth because, you know, whenever a call goes our way, I'm like, I know, you know, we don't need replay. <laughs> but, um, you know, I feel like luck always doesn't fall away. And, you know, it, replay has been in sports you know, for such a long time. I really don't see why it hasn't been incorporated into softball with all the technology advances that we've had. And, you know, now softball is bringing in all this revenue. We're getting all these viewers. It's becoming such a popular sport. And it's, you know, it's watched. So I kind of don't see why we don't have it yet. But, um, you know, I, I think it's it's something that we would definitely be good. It would definitely keep us all honest. You know, and it would create, I think it would, well, not really create. It would you know, eliminate that, oh, well, if that, if that call would have went our way, we would have won the game. You know, so it would keep everybody more honest and more true to what the game is. Um so, you know, it, it's one of those things, like, it, it kind of keeps it fun because you're like, ooh, what's umpire going to do today? <laughs> but also, you know, it, like I said, it would keep everybody honest and, you know, they, it would eliminate that that discrepancy of, okay, well, if this call would have went our way, the game, the game would have had a different outcome. Talking with uh, Sydney Littlejohn here on Out of the Box, and uh, we have a, a few questions, a couple that were uh, submitted from uh, from Twitter uh, but one that that we asked, we've asked a lot of the former players as well uh, to the pitchers. You mentioned Georgia kind of had your number. Who? What was the toughest hitter that you faced at your time at Alabama? Oh man, there are so many, especially being in the SEC. Uh, I guess, of course, you know the great Lauren Chamberlain. You know, I only faced her twice in my career, both in the same night. One time, she had a home run on a pitch that was. Way far out. Nobody should have swung out and seen how the little field ball pole. Still don't know how she did that. So, of course, you know, she's one of the best hitters I've ever faced. But that game ended good, uh, so it's okay. Someone, yes, it did. It did. <laughs> as far as someone, you know, in the SEC that I faced a lot that I just always seem to have trouble with, uh, one particular comes to mind, you know, Bailey Landry. You know, I felt like, you know, power hitters, they were going to hit a home run every now and then. But, man, those lefty power slappers, and, I mean, of course, she was one of the best. They, I feel like they always, they were always out to get me. They knew what I was coming at them with. 
and they were just able to get a hold of it. And she definitely had my number. She was one of the toughest ones to throw to. felt like I always had to pull out all of the tools I ever had whenever I was throwing against her. And then another one coming in from somebody I think you know, at SID underscore Nate. You know, we talked a lot earlier in the show <laughs> about our trip to Hawaii. And one of my favorite parts about the the trip out there was getting to hang around the team and just get to know all of the players and the coaching staff better. And obviously, when you're on the team, Sydney, you, you know the girls, you know, you all hang out all the time. But is there a specific off the field memory from your career at Alabama that really sticks out? I mean, there there's just so many. Um, you know, I, I mean, I can go back to the Amsterdam trip. We were all staying on a farmhouse, and, you know, there was no air conditioning, and all of us, you know, falling asleep on the bus because that's the only place that had air conditioning. We'd be in the farmhouse, and mosquitoes would be in there on the walls, and you could just hear everybody, you know, slapping their walls. Um, but just, you know, being with those girls, and even today, the girls on the team, any time that I get to be around them or, you know, I get to go to a game, I get to see them, I get to watch them. I mean, even my husband will say it, like, I am my best self whenever I am around them. So there, there isn't an exact, and I mean, of course, I can look back, you know, at my wedding, and it was like family you all over again <laughs> um, at my wedding. And that, that will always, you know, stay with me is the support from my Bama U family and, everyone involved and you know all these people they just have such a special place in my heart and I would do anything for them and and I mean they would do the same for me so anytime I always got to be around them hang out with them even to this day the ones you know we all still get together I mean we we're a pretty fun time and so (laughs) I must say like it's a it's a great group to be around we got another question from somebody else you may know at Emily P Tech and uh, she was asking uh, if there was one thing that Alabama soft, softball taught you as it correlates to life lessons, life lessons kind of moving forward just in, in your career and in, in your personal life, anything moving, moving on. So, again, so many things. <laughs> um, but if I could narrow it down, a couple of the things that I would say is, you know, again, being around this staff, the support staff, everybody involved with Alabama softball, um, I just really learned to accept myself for who I am. You know, I'm weird, I'm type A, all of these things. And whenever you go to the University of Alabama, they accept you for who you are, where you're at, whoever you want to be. They, they just love you and they support you and they encourage you. So with that, you know, my confidence just skyrocketed and, you know, now I'm confident who I and who I am as a person. And, you know, that relates to the kids that I teach, pitching lessons-wise, that relates to my coworkers. You know, I feel like I'm able to make a difference wherever I'm at because of what I learned in this program. And another thing, too, is, you know, one thing I learned that I always try to relate to my kids is your worth is not determined by what you do on the field, by the outcomes. You know, softball is what I did. It's not who I am. You know, I kind of sometimes feel like it is now because, you know, I just want to go back and play. But as a whole, you know, I'm able to separate myself from that. And, you know, in work, if I make a mistake, you know, I don't let it just get me down. And, 
you know, it ruins my day. It's, you know, it's this mistake I did. I learn from it. I move on. It's not who I am. And so I just felt like they helped me grow so much as a person, and I am now the absolute best version of myself because of this program and because of all they taught me. Well, I think that's a pretty good thought to end on as we steal second here with Sydney Little John, and we will see you this weekend here in College Station because you're coming over to Davis, Davis Diamond excuse me, to watch some of the games, aren't you? Oh, absolutely. I would not miss it. I'm going to be there. <laughs> I'm going to be fired up and ready to go. Got, got got the towel ready to be waving and ready, we're going? Yes, I yeah. got it. My husband's got one. We're, we're ready to go. We're going to give them sugar daddies to run for their money. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> we look forward to that for sure. Oh, yeah, that's, uh, yeah. that's going to be great. And if we get to 34-0 and 0 this year, then we know who to credit for the sweep this weekend if that happens. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Sydney Littlejohn here with us on Out of the Box. So we've stolen second with Sydney Littlejohn. And uh, Sydney, again, thank you so much for hopping on with us. We're so thrilled that you could join us and talk about Alabama and your time in the circle and you know your thoughts about what's happened in softball so far this year. Yes, thank you. Again, I really appreciate it, and I can't wait to see you all this weekend. Absolutely. It'll be a blast. Bye, Sydney. Yeah. <laughs> so we've Bye. we've stolen second with Sydney Littlejohn, and now it's time to round third as we break down the RPI and what's going on around those first released rankings, as well as our thoughts on replay. You heard Sydney Littlejohn's. It's time for Tom and I to throw our hat in the ring. That coming up on the other side here on Out of the Box. box podcast we are rounding third here on the show gray robertson tom canterbury here with you great show so far we've talked about alabama the sec we stole second with sydney little john alabama all american all sec pitcher from years past and now it is time to discuss some of the big headlines dropping in college softball one of which tom is the reveal of the rpi i'm always excited to see the rpi come out i think the first rpi is fascinating every year yeah last year i think alabama was what 25 yeah and, it was it was really low yeah and we got up to i think 15 or 16 overall tom before we dive into this team by team in the sec looking at the totals it is very apparent that there is not a lot of respect for the conference this year and i think you know that makes sense because we've seen some results across the league that are very puzzling up and down the conference yeah i think that's one of the things that in doing this podcast we're just kind of it's hard to figure out and hard to really analyze what's going on in the conference right now. Cause there's still so many puzzlements that, yeah. <laughs> that, that are happening. And uh, yeah, I think the, the RPI, I think the sec got a little bit disrespected in, in the RPI. I think they're, they're a little bit better than some of these numbers indicate. And again, as, as the season goes along, I think it'll kind of correct itself, but um, uh, I don't, I, I don't see not, not one sec team being in the top five. I, I think yeah. I think somebody should be up there. I'm not even saying it should necessarily be Alabama, even though Alabama is 31 and 0 because of the strength of schedule that Alabama has played. Uh, but Alabama at 11, I think is is <laughs> <It's> dumb. <laughs> That's dumb. It's dumb. Yeah. So here's how the SEC stacks up: LSU at six, Kentucky at seven, Florida at nine, Tennessee ten, Alabama eleven, Ole Miss fifteen. Wow. Auburn at seventeen, and then you got the drop. 
Arkansas at 29, South Carolina at 30, Mississippi State at 33, Mm. Georgia at 39, Missouri at 40, Texas A&M at 53. What jumps out individually about those teams, Tom? Well, you look at Georgia at 39, and uh, if you're going to play a a poor non-conference schedule, you can't lose. I think Mm -hmm. think that's what that shows you right there. Now, again, as as you get and you play more of these SEC teams and your and your strength of schedule uh, gets better, Georgia will move up. It, it's uh, that's a tough spot for you to be in to start off things. And uh, Missouri and A and M, same situation, uh, just too many losses, and then trying to get some wins and, and putting yourself in in a good spot. Again, you can't lose the you can't lose the championship in February, but you can really put yourself behind the eight ball. And that's what some of these teams have done that are way down on the RPI. I would like to shine a light on Kentucky. So we have talked about how tough their non-conference strength of schedule was. Mm -hmm. And that's all well and good. But they've got this ranking because their strength of schedule overall is number two in the country. Yeah. And I don't mind that. I do mind that the RPI, and again, I don't know the math. I know it's a lot of numbers. I've seen people try and explain it. I can't. I I don't get it. (laughs) I'm not a human calculator. But I am not on board for just rewarding a team for playing good teams. If they didn't win at least a couple of those, because then you get into the argument since we're in March madness right now of middle Tennessee last year, when they got eliminated or rather were not put in the NCAA tournament, everybody said, well, they played Ole Miss and they played Miami and they played USC. They played Auburn. Well, they lost all of those games. You got to win some of them. Yeah. So you, you can't play teams and that should not result in a good RPI. You also need to win some of these games. You know, Alabama has only played the three top 25 teams. They've beaten all three. Kentucky, I believe is zero and eight this year against the top 25 or something along those lines. Yeah. And they got some wins early on against some teams that we thought were going to be in the top 25 and they've since fallen out. Uh, but, uh, in general, I, I, I tend to agree with that. You need to win some of these games. Uh, but at the same time, I, I'm okay with rewarding uh, a good schedule because, again, this is the very first RPI. I think as as it as it moves along, it'll it'll kind of correct itself. Well, I agree with you on that because as we just highlighted a little bit ago in the show, Kentucky's strength of schedule is not great in the sec going forward you got missouri who's 40 at arkansas who's just inside the top 30 and then ole miss who's 15 um, which is fine but i mean you're not playing you know a top 10 squad in the next three weeks right so i I do think that's interesting and i think to your point as well an sec team not being in the top five is very bizarre right And And, and again i think that'll correct itself as we move forward so here is the top five florida state at one UCLA at two, Washington three, Oklahoma four. Don't really have a, a terrible issue with any of those four, but then five, Texas. Yeah, that surprises me. Again, I, I haven't been following Texas game by game on their schedule. Maybe it's it's it's, a, it's really good, uh, but you know their record doesn't indicate to me that they're that they are the number five team in the country. I have a little bit of problem Washington being at number three. Uh, you know, my favorite team, Washington, um, <laughs> you love them. I Tom. do. Yeah. I'm a big fan. They got, they got it handed to them by UCLA yeah. this past weekend. And I know that's their number two. So you're not going to, you're not going to really hammer them, but they not even get a game against them to get swept by UCLA. I would like to have seen them fall a couple more slots. My issue with Texas is they have played a lot of top 25 teams. But they've also lost some out of a top 25. They've had a loss to 32 Arizona in the RPI and 45 Wisconsin. And they've, you know, they've got some good wins here and there. You know, is that better than what you're seeing from LSU? 
you know, is that a lot that much better than even Kentucky? You know, overall record, sure, they've lost some, but I, I just I, I was just very surprised. And yeah. again, I think that Alabama at 11 is a bit too low because I think they're better than that. And even though, you know, there are some opponents that are really dragging them down, like Niagara at 264, Mississippi Valley State at 261, and a really way too many that are below 130. Right. I think also that you have to take into account where the teams that they beat are. Minnesota right there behind them and Arizona in the top eight. Right. That 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 surprised me that Arizona was that high. Uh, but again, they played. They've played a great schedule. Minnesota, you know, you got two wins against Minnesota and a win and a win against Arizona for Alabama, and those could be really big moving forward. Uh, and with Texas, again, once they get into the conference and the Big Twelve, it's going to hurt them because there, there's not other really good teams in the Big Twelve other than Oklahoma. Uh, so uh, the, they'll get started to pull down by that conference schedule soon. So we will see how the RPI adjusts the next couple weeks. Uh, Monday should be fascinating because this ranking for LSU in particular does not take into account the game three win over Florida. Right. So I'm intrigued to see how that impacts it. And of course the weekend series coming up in the sec. I was happy to see Missouri state in the top 50 in the RPI. And that'll, that'll hopefully, uh, at least uh, it'll come down some as they get in their conference too, but hopefully they'll stay within, you need to say, you need all of your teams that you play against stay in the top 75, yep. 75 is, is one of the big cutoffs. Uh, when they're looking at it as far as uh, as the committee does for the NCAA tournament. So teams like uh, Cal State Fortune, I think, will get better uh, than 50. Uh, you know, would love to see Maryland hold on to that top 75 there at 63 right now in Troy. Uh, but we'll, we'll see how that goes. Go, hopefully the fact that the ACC, well, sorry to say ACC, but Maryland's not in the ACC anymore. No, they're it, not. it feels weird that they're not. <laughs> I, that's the, of all the conference realignment that happened a few years ago, that's the one that still feels the weirdest to me that Maryland is not in the ACC. I would agree. Yeah. And Rutgers in the big East Rutgers in the big 10 is yeah, odd. That, that is odd, but they're not really relevant usually. No, so it really doesn't, doesn't bother me, but, but my point about the ACC, I think will stand for the big 10 as well. Hopefully the fact that the big 10 continues to improve this year has a lot more better teams than usual will help Maryland stay in the, above that one above that 75 in the RPI. Before we switch topics, South Alabama at 105 was a surprise for me. They are well under 500 right now and they're really struggling and I was not expecting that. You know, we know they don't have a ton of pitching depth, but I thought they'd be a bit better. Yeah, I remember I remember when we played South Alabama and I asked coach Murphy about about the Jaguars because, you know, they usually are really good and he said I think they're going to have problems as far as their their pitching this year and that's, that's that's been the case and if you're in a league that south alabama's in with a troy with a louisiana some of these other teams and the sunbelt's a really good mm-hmm. softball league uh, if you have pitching troubles you're going to struggle and that's yeah. what's happening with them so that is the updated rpi let's switch topics and talk about something that really just came to a head last night because of the florida lsu game and that is replay and we saw a little bit of it as well in the kentucky mississippi state game uh, on one of the days and we were traveling back from Hawaii. Yes, right. It, it, Could I have think, all been in the same day. It could have been two days and we were still traveling on the same trip. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't tell you when it was. <laughs> I think it was the third game of the series, but we saw Abby Cheek running down the baseline uh, outside oh, yeah, of yeah. the base uh-huh. paths mm-hmm. and, and truck 
one of the Mississippi State players, the first baseman, and no call coming. Mm-hmm. And that, again, sparked the replay conversation. And then we saw it again last night in the Florida game. Controversial call, an error that uh, was apparently a late throw. That was a call. Didn't look like it. Earlier right. on, we saw a throw to first. Amanda Lorenz's foot was on replay clearly off the bag. The runner was t- called out for LSU. So it appears like there is some need for replay in softball. And I'm wondering, Tom, where you stand on this. I think there there's two, two aspects of this. Number one, I still stand by my statement that I made last year about officiating in general. I think the officiating in general needs to be better. We don't need to be missing these calls That's to right. begin with. That's right. Now, now the question is, how do you do that? Do you, I mean, again, maybe do you add a fourth umpire? Because it's hard for the first base umpire sometimes to see based on certain angles uh, you know, three eyes is three, three pairs of eyes rather is fine. Do you add a fourth? Uh, I think you, the, the only, the only issue I have with that is, and the main difference between softball and baseball where baseball, where the fourth umpire is huge out there on the base paths is you got such a small bit of area right. to cover. And sometimes as a, I know I've done a little bit of training as an umpire and an official is sometimes getting too close to the play is not your best vantage point hmm. you want to have it's all about the angle it's not necessarily how close you are right so i think it's going to be hard to get the right angles for to add an, an additional umpire okay so I, I don't think that's necessarily the case i just think the umpires you have need to be better i'd agree and whether that's better training uh just be better um in, in better shape i don't know it's hard to say it other than just do your job better it's, it's hard to you know but uh i i think the the speed of the game the the caliber of athletes has ele- has evolved in the sport of softball as it has in, in other sports as well. And I don't think the officiating has evolved at the same level. Hmm. And I think that's, I think that that's one of your main part problems. Now, does that mean even if, you know, no matter what, there's always going to be missed calls, but I, I there think, even is with replay in certain sports. Right. Yes. I did. But I think the, the volume of them is, is because the level of officiating is not at the level it needs to be. Now, that being said, I would be okay with, 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 um, some replay, uh, but it doesn't need to slow the game down. Agreed. We don't need to be, what has happened in the last two minutes of college basketball does not need to happen in softball Mm -hmm. to where we have to go to the monitor for everything. We slow everything down. We screw all momentum and just, and just have everything grind to a halt because we had a close play. We need to be able to make the call now, but if it's one of those really, really close bang, bang, Let's go to the monitor, but let's do it quick. I'd agree with that. I would say that in terms of replay, I am for it. Uh, it. It would be really tough to implement because I don't know if you only do it for the postseason, if you only do it in the regular season, and not every program can afford to be quite blunt all of the equipment that you would need to do replay. Right. I think it would have to be a conference situation. Yeah. Um, and you know, we're going to places where you know we talk about. You know, Texas A&M, when, you know, when I had to go there last time and we were broadcasting underneath the speaker outside because there's just not enough room. There's not they don't have the, the facilities. Now we're seeing a lot of places that are, are building the facilities, but you're still getting, you know, you're still going to go places. Heck, the one of the greatest tournaments they have every year is the one in Clearwater now. And we're going to be outside broadcasting there, too. I can't wait. Yeah, it's, it's going to be <laughs> awesome. But, you know, that would not work. Right. It's not yeah. it's not the best facility. You, you want to do uh, you want to do instant replay in Puerto Vallarta for oh, that gosh. tournament, that type of thing. So, I mean, it, that, that's going to be where it's going to be a very hit or miss thing, especially in the pre-conference. Uh, but I think you're going to, you can do it in conference uh, 
you know, most of the power five, at least. I agree. My, and then, and then you definitely do it in NCAA postseason for sure. I think in terms of what you're allowed to replay, uh, that can never include balls and strikes. Nope, never. I agree. That would take way too long. Once again, that's something else the umpires need to be much better at. I would agree with that as well. But you can't, <laughs> you know, every pitch you can argue. Right. So it would take too long. You, if you were going to do that, maybe you get one all game and that's it. <laughs> yeah. That, and then that would actually be kind of fun to see when uh, coaches would decide to use that. Mm-hmm. But I think you know, you look at catches. Because we've seen some over the years that have been iffy. Right. Uh, you look at a situation like Abby Cheek, um, you know, maybe running over, see if she was uh, in the proper boundaries, or a situation like Amanda Lorenz. Did the throw make it in time? Was her foot on the bag? That stuff is fine because when you're watching the TV broadcast, you, we, the viewer, we're seeing the replay. Right. You know, we're getting it. What would be the harm in taking 45 seconds? And again, it has to be quick, right? Because we so cannot have softball go three and a half no. hours for a seven inning game. So we're saying fair foul, out safe, um, obstruction, yes, type plays. Maybe I'm trying to figure out how you would do it with a legal pitch, but I don't think you could. No, that that's another one that has to be much more consistently called one way or the other. Yeah, right, either we're going to do it or we're not. And out of the box as well. Yeah, but yeah, I, I agree. Those those I don't think should be replayed because even like you know allowed the out of the box calls, you know, in the sixth inning when there's no batter's box left. Yeah, yeah it's still it, that that is even more so of a judgment call, and you, there's nothing that can overturn it because there's no chalk there anymore. Well, that's the point I made during the broadcast. You know, KB sides was up and there was nothing there but dirt. So yeah. I made the point. I said, look, it, it's. Just just take that little extra half step because right. it's <laughs> the, gonna have to be you're not going to get called. Right. Yeah. And uh, and that's just kind of how it is. I, I think replay is needed in the game because there are, like you said, too many big time athletes in this sport now and too many big time situations. Yeah. You know, we're seeing a game, you know, again, kind of goes against the conference theory you have. But even Wednesday night, Florida hosting Minnesota, that is a big time game for two teams that really need to win. And you know, if there's a bang, bang play, right. We just roll with it. Well, and here's the thing too. Everything's on TV now. Right. So if there is a bad call, everyone's going to know about it. You know, now it used to be when the games weren't all televised, you didn't know what was happening. Then just whoever lost would say, well, there was a bad call in the seventh inning and, and no one knows about it. So, okay, there's a bad call, but we don't know. Everyone's going to see it now. Yeah. That that's what happened there in that, in the LSU Florida game. You know, th- those were, those were a couple obvious calls that were missed. So before we head home, Tom, I'll reverse this question. Do you think we will have replay coming up soon? Yes. I, I think we will in postseason for sure. Uh, and then I think we will probably see it in the conference, in the SEC, and then most power fives in conference play uh, within the next two or three years. Well, I'm certainly hoping so because, like you said, Tom, the officiating has not been as good especially in the last five years, I feel like compared to, you know, previously, or maybe we we're just not, we didn't know then, Yeah, but well, and well, things have to change. Yeah. Now it hasn't, again, I don't know, something will happen very soon and I'll want to take back this statement. I haven't noticed it as much this year, but some of that may have been because we're Alabama's 31 and 0. Right. So you're kind of able to overlook some of the, the poor calls. And really, I can only think of one controversial call and that was the ball strike on Kaylee Tau against Minnesota. Yeah. That's really it in terms right. of anything controversial that affected a game. Yeah, but that's because we get all the calls against Minnesota. That's right. So that's what never, social media has us believe. Never forget that, Greg. No, never forget that, that. That is off the wall. <laughs> right. And people people say that we were holding a grudge because of Hawaii, but 
Minnesota people certainly hold their grudges. Yeah, for real. We're going to talk about off-the-wall things coming up in the next segment, as well as predictions for this weekend. Some really good SEC series happening Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. We're going to break it all down as we head home here on the Out of the Box podcast predictions and the -the off-the-wall segment coming up when we get back. We are heading home here on the Out of the Box podcast. Gray Robertson and Tom Canterbury back with you. It's been a great show so far. First at the plate, we talked about Alabama's opening 31-0 record. We talked about the Hawaii trip, and we kind of broke down Alabama-Texas A&M. We're going to really break it down this weekend. You can listen on the air at 93.3 FM Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. We advanced to first and broke down the SEC last weekend, talked about some of the teams and where they stand. We stole second with Sydney Littlejohn, Alabama All-American in the circle, one of the best pitchers in Alabama history. And we rounded third, reflecting upon the RPI and discussing replay. And now we get to head home, Tom. One of the best stats, which we did, I neglected to mention about Alabama, uh, was uh, one thing that Nathan Sheehan was able to find out for us is that Alabama is the seventh team to start the season thirty-one or better in national his- NCAA history, mm. and the previous six, all the previous six, went to the World Series and four of them won it. That's fine. So there you go. I'll take it. <laughs> and, and the all-time record is thirty-five to start off a season, and, and that's I was obtainable. I was telling some of my friends. You know, if if Alabama sweeps A&M, it's happening. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and put it out there. (laughs) Alabama is not losing to Georgia Tech at home. And if they need one game to break the streak, they are not losing to Mississippi State in Rhodes. Right. Not happening. Yep. So we'll know by this weekend if it's happening or not. Okay. I think. Sounds good to me. We'll see. Let's break down some of these upcoming matchups in the league, make some predictions. We'll, we'll go by series and, you know, talk about who's going to win, you know, sweep, two and one, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. We'll start in Lexington, Missouri at Kentucky. Kentucky 6-0 and in the conference. Missouri 2-4. and It feels like they're better, though. Right. Yeah. But it is in Lexington and Autumn Humes, again, sub-4. I'm sorry, obviously sub four, <laughs> right. sub point four ERA in conference play. What do you think, Tom? I'm going to say Kentucky wins 2-1. I think Missouri's going to steal one somewhere. Hmm. I'm not sure where, but I think Missouri's going to get that one. I think it has to be game two. Okay. But, which again, I, if I'm Missouri, I kind of think about saving Maddie Norman for games two and three, if possible. Or at least, you know. Yeah, I, I understand where you're saying and I, I agree, but coaches don't think that way. I know. They're, Maybe I should just be a coach. <laughs> hey, when we no, had, then you wouldn't think that way either. <laughs> when we had breakfast delivered in Hawaii, one of the restaurants mistakenly put mine away from everybody and had it labeled Coach Gray. Yeah. So Well, there you go. Well, on along those same lines, when we got off the airplane and we were everybody was getting handed out lays, uh someone asked me if I was Coach Patrick. I Did said, you say yes? No, I should have. <laughs> I should have, but I am not a college softball hall of famer national championship <laughs> coach no i'm going to take kentucky in three i think wow. they get the sweep if they do that then i mean alabama's gonna have to hold serve yeah if, if that happens for sure next up auburn at mississippi state uh, this is an odd matchup auburn in the top 25 mississippi state is not auburn you know, I, I don't know what's going on with auburn 
they're uh, it's weird you know they they play terribly for most of a game most of two games against a&m come back and win right you know they were down four nothing scored 12 in the sixth to run rule the aggies right yeah they're three and oh in conference and yet it doesn't feel like that i think mississippi state gets a game i'm gonna go auburn two and one because i do think michaela martin is good enough to shut down the rest of the bulldog lineup because if you're playing mississippi state that's the key you know, let Fale Lua, let Mia Davidson hit solo shots all day. Yeah. But you can't let the rest of a lineup get on and score runs. I'm going to say in Sartville, I'm going to say Mississippi State wins 2-1. Really? Yeah. Because I, I don't trust Auburn hmm. for, for a lot of reasons. But I don't, I don't, I don't <laughs> trust them. Interesting. Okay, yeah. so we have our first winner of the series disagreement. <laughs> what about the Saturday, Sunday, Monday series? It, fascinating one in Columbia, South Carolina, Ole Miss at... The Gamecocks, Bev Smith's team, one and five in conference play. We didn't buy into them. I did not expect that. Ole Miss is two and one after getting the series at home last weekend against Arkansas. Who do you got? I'm still kind of torn on this one, to be quite honest. I'm going to go Ole Miss two one. I'm going to agree with you. Wow. Yes. Look at us. How about that? Yeah, I uh, yeah. Molly Jacobson's pretty good. A lot of this is momentum. I think Ole Miss is playing real well right now. South Carolina is struggling. Uh, the fact that Ole Miss was able to beat Oklahoma State the way they did this past week, that they should have a lot of a lot of momentum, a lot of confidence moving in. And uh, we've not seen South Carolina be able to to uh, uh, protect that home turf this year, losing to Kentucky by a sweep. And uh, so I, I think they'll I think they'll eventually right the ship enough to at least be in the conversation to be a a regional host. But I don't think I don't think it's happening yet. I'm going to go Ole Miss. I'm going to go Ole Miss two one as well. So there we go. This one is, I thought maybe a couple weeks ago, this might be one of the series of the year. Now I think it is the litmus test for a team to see if they are treading water or if they, if this year is going to be a real issue. And that's Georgia hosting LSU who just got two of three against Florida. I don't know how I feel about this one either. I'm leaning LSU two one. I think Georgia steals a game because it's at home and because of the power in the lineup. But boy, if Georgia wants to, a move up in the RPI and B prove to people, Hey, you know what? Sorry about the last couple of weeks. We are an actual contender. Yeah. They have to win this series. I'm, I'm going to agree with you though. I think LSU wins at two, one. I think LSU will win the first two and then Georgia will win the third one to keep from being swept. You miss Courtney Emanuel. Don't you? If you're Lou Harris champer, man, you're yeah, you're there's something in, I, I agree what you've said earlier on. I just think there's just something missing with this team right now, whether it's, it's, it might not necessarily even be what the Emanuel's brought, on the field, it may be an off the field situation. Um, and again, you look at them last year, uh, they came out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they went from being the bottom of the barrel to uh, to the top team in the league very quickly because Brittany Gray was having a great season. She gets hurt at the end of the year and kind of derails them somewhat, but uh, still did really good in conference play. Uh, maybe, maybe it was another situation where, you know, they didn't know how to deal with the expectations. Maybe Uh, we'll see how that goes. That one Friday, Saturday, Sunday will be fascinating. Arkansas at Tennessee. And we just saw Tennessee beat Liberty earlier today. They split two games with Texas. Arkansas is really struggling to find their way in the circle. It's in Knoxville. I I think this has sweep all over it. I'm going Tennessee three zip. I think Arkansas wins one. Uh, And I, I think some of it is because of Tennessee. I'm not sure what they're doing with their schedule. Why, why would, why, why, why are you on the road in North Carolina in the midweek? <laughs> why? I don't understand why you're doing this. I don't know. So you go to Liberty and then don't they play North Carolina tomorrow? Yes. As we're, as we're recording this on Tuesday. Um, and then after you've hosted that tournament, 
with a really good Texas team. You 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 split with them, then you go on the road to Liberty. I think you'll be able to beat North Carolina tomorrow. But then you, you should right. But then you come back home, uh, and I and I think Arkansas is a little bit better than they've been playing in general. Um, and I, I think you're still going to see Mary have have some of those games where she's going to be what she was last year. And I, I, I could see her shutting down Tennessee one time again. And Tennessee's also trying to figure out what they're going to do without Shipman. Yeah, I, I think the key to this series, I'll say this. Arkansas will get a game if their defense can get through the series without making mistakes. Yeah. Because when Aubrey Leach puts it, slaps it down, puts it up the middle, puts it you know to second or short, if your infield cannot handle that, you're going to lose oh, the series. Then you're in trouble for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I just can't buy into a team with 42 errors in 28 games. Right. So I Tennessee is going to win the series, but I think Arkansas is going to get one. Okay. I've got Tennessee in a sweep. We'll see who's okay. right about that. Right. And finally, Alabama at Texas A&M. We will try and be unbiased here, but I, I'll try. <laughs> I, uh, I will, I will say this as someone who is now at this point studied A&M pretty thoroughly. Okay. I've looked at their pitchers. I've scoured the numbers i've also watched some of their games i really think alabama gets a sweep but i'm concerned there will be one game where it's just a little bit off mm-hmm. I, I think alabama gets the sweep because as i said earlier a&m's pitching is they've got four people they can turn to really three that have pitched good minutes this year but nobody has really been fantastic i mean you look at the eras for the year best one of a team is three four one Right. And it's Peyton McBride, who Bailey Hemphill hit the home run off of in the SEC tournament. So I don't think their offense is talented enough, A&M's that is, to come back if McBride gives up eight runs to Alabama and they have to score nine against Montana Fouts or Sarah Cornell. Yeah. But if Alabama has one off day, whether it's due to the traveling or something, wouldn't be shocked if A&M stole one. But I do like Alabama to sweep. Yeah, I'm going to say Alabama sweeps as well. And one of the reasons why is... Um, as much as we've talked about it, as much as, you know, we put stuff on social media and, and people have talked, I haven't heard the girls talk a lot about the streak. That's true. Actually. Yeah. There's very been very little talk about it. I've never even asked coach Murphy about it in the pregame interview. And I just, I don't think that they, I think huh. that they've kind of removed themselves from it. They're just there. They are literally playing it game by game. So the issue I would think would be, you know, if you are to that point of, you know, maybe breaking the record or that type of thing, is, is there, are they going to put pressure on themselves? I don't think this team's going to do that. I, you know, and I was just thinking about it yesterday when I was looking through things, I saw Bailey Hemphill, RBI leader in America. Right. I didn't, where was that? No one said that. I was the one that put it in our group text. Yeah. I don't think anyone knew because it's just, it's very low key. It's yeah. a very low key 31 and oh. Yeah. So, you know, people are just coming to the ballpark with their lunch pail and, and putting in their work and heading home. And I, I think a lot of that has, uh, I think that that is why Alabama has been able to do this, why they haven't dropped one of these games to the quote unquote cupcakes that Alabama has been playing is because, you know, they're just, they're just going out there and playing. That doesn't matter who they're playing against. They're, they're just going out there and playing it the best that they can. And I think that's, I think they'll continue that mindset here this weekend. And that's why I think they're going to sweep. And before we get to off the wall, I will present the stat. Yes. The 2019 edition of the stat this year, Alabama's response stat is 21 for 32. Now, somebody on Twitter said, explain what that is because we're old. Okay. <laughs> and first off, impressed if you consider yourself old and you're on Twitter. Right. Yeah, Very well done. Yes. Here's what that means. Opponents have scored in 32 innings this year against Alabama. The Crimson Tide has scored in the next half inning immediately following the opposition 
21 times, and I calculated it 15 times this year. They have scored the equal amount as the opposition or greater, mm-hmm. which is even more impressive. Right. And so you hear 21 of 32 and you think, oh, you know, that's 11 times they didn't. Well, let's compare. Florida, including last night this year in the response stat, 10 for 27 or 26, excuse me, because LSU got the walk off. Mm-hmm. Tennessee this year, I haven't calculated it today, but I know Liberty didn't score. So Tennessee this year, nine for 27 on the season. And Texas A&M, Alabama's opponent this weekend, 10 for 44. So it does matter. And it's yeah. obvious uh, when you look at the rest of the country and in particular, the rest of the SEC. It's a mental game against your opponent too, because you're not allowing them to hold any momentum in the game. Right. And so, you know, we talked about how much they've done in the second inning. Sometimes those second innings have been because, you know, the opponent scored in the the first. And then you come right back. You know, if you're the opponent, you score in the, say, you know, as what's happened in a lot of these tournaments, Alabama's been the the designated visiting team. So Alabama doesn't score in the top of the first. You come back and score a run in the bottom of the first, and you have all the momentum. Niagara comes to mind. Here we go. We're in a good spot. We're, we're, we're going to be able to pull this upset. And then Alabama comes in the second inning and puts up five on you. <laughs> and you're well, I guess not. Yeah, so I, so it, it is a, it, it's, it's really a mental thing to where you are dampening any, any hope that the opponent has. And it, that, I think that's why that response to that has been so big for Alabama so far this year. So we will see if that comes into play this weekend. Patrick Murphy says he, uh, he hopes it doesn't. <laughs> right. Yes. Um, but you're hoping to get the, the shutout every game anyway. So, yeah, but you know, it, it might, and if it does, we'll keep that updated as the season goes on. Now it is time for the segment Tom loves. It is the <laughs> off-the-wall segment featuring the Is This on TV comment of the week from mm-hmm. each of us. Right. Tom, I will let you dive in first. What is your off-the-wall segment comment from this week about Alabama, about softball that you saw? Right. Go ahead. Well, because people actually be mad about something all the time. Uh, so we, we there was a comment as we were coming back from Hawaii that I was looking at someone mad that we're in Hawaii. Somebody's mad. It wasn't on, me. Somebody mad online. <laughs> M O L about Alabama quote unquote traveling to the other side of the world to play softball. And we should not be playing softball anywhere other than the original America. <laughs> what does that mean? It's okay. Let, let me, let me look through the, the layers of this, of this statement here. Yes, it is a long trip to Hawaii. But they are, you know, Hawaii is a D1 softball team. So anyone that has, you know, they're in a conference. So those people in those in that Big West conference, they got to travel across the world to go play them every other year. So, yeah, that, that happens sometimes. And it wasn't just a, a pleasure trip. You played the six softball games, very occasion, uh, very educational trip to Pearl Harbor. A lot of cool stuff. Once in a lifetime for a lot of people. I don't know if I'll ever go back to Hawaii. I probably will not. So if someone said, here's a ticket to Hawaii, I would go. But I, just, I don't see that happening <laughs> no. anytime soon. And you talk about it, you know, being a business trip. The girls aren't hanging out at the bar and sitting by the pool the entire time. Yeah. They're not doing any of that. They're, they go, you know, we saw a couple of them at the beach one day. That's right. pretty much it. Uh, they were with their families a lot. Yeah. And, and other than that, it's softball. The entire time, we're the ones lounging on right. towels, not doing anything. Right. I mean, they got to stay hydrated. They got to, you know, get the proper amount of rest and all this kind of stuff. So, so they don't go out and, and lose games they're not supposed to. So yeah, so it's, it it was it was a business trip. Yeah, with, with some really cool perks. Yeah, this is basically what it was with a beach, right? Which yeah. is fine. In the bluest water I've ever seen. Okay, <laughs> so so that part of the of that statement, and then the original America statement. Okay, so 
what what constitute when is the cutoff for quote unquote original America? Are we only in the thirteen colonies? Because if that's the case, we got to move Road Stadium to Georgia. Yep. Or <laughs> what about the nineteen hundreds? Does Oklahoma make right. it? I mean, what? Yeah. How does that work out? We've, we've played in Arizona. Arizona wasn't a state until the ni- until the twentieth century. So I mean, we've been in non original America a lot this year. <laughs> apparently, <sighs> just a just a ridiculous statement off and, the wall. You right. would say yes. Also, and then and the other part of the statement I forgot is that he said he could have this this opinion, which anybody can have an opinion. You can think whatever you want, but your opinion can be wrong. But he can have this opinion because he was an alumnus of the University of Alabama and had paid a lot of money to win his degree. None of that money that you paid, sir, to, to go to the University of Alabama went to the softball program. That That is a nope. separate thing. None of your tuition money goes to athletics. And people may think that but that's not the case. They're there. It's a totally different revenue stream. So I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I appreciate, and I'm, I, I congratulate you on your degree <laughs> in the university of Alabama. I have a couple of them. I'm, I'm very proud of them, but it has yeah, the fact that I have two degrees does not mean that I have a say in what softball does or rowing or soccer or gymnastics or any sport any more than this, than this podcast does. <laughs> May I just say it was um, first off, yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. May I just say, we had all been awake for a very long time. Everyone was very <laughs> tired. And the fact that once we saw that comment on a message board somewhere, mm-hmm. and all of us, the whole support staff, you know, some of the coaching staff, we were all dying over there reading it. <laughs> right. So, ask you, the original Amer, what does that even mean? It does, it, uh, I don't know. Mean, uh, okay. Can I get to mine? Yes, sorry. Uh, yeah. Sorry. No, no, I, I like that you went on that <laughs> tangent because trust me, everything you said, we all said, <laughs> right, yes. waiting to get on our eight hour plane. Yeah. That the, the first one that worked instead of the second one that didn't work, but then we had to get back off it and get on another plane. I'm glad they figured it out before we took off that it didn't work. But yeah. Well, that's not- I wish they'd given us a TV so I could have finished Ralph Breaks the Internet, but <laughs> it, it is what it is. Right. I know uh, I, well, a bunch of the girls are watching movies, but it's fine. I, mm, we're I just, okay. Yeah, it's all right. We made it back. <laughs> I'm going to read the first sentence from a comment that I saw on an online message board, not Alabama related. Okay. I was talking about the RPI mm-hmm. and, uh, and this was the comment. Now remember folks, Alabama is 31 and 0. Yes. 31 and 0. 31 and 0. This is what this person said. Undefeated so far. Yes. Okay. No yes. one else is undefeated. This person said, I would be embarrassed to be a Bama fan. Their season is starting to look awfully familiar to a Big Ten team that didn't even get to host a regional. Mm. That, of course, is a reference to Minnesota, who was 55 and four, whatever they were, a couple years ago. Mm. Okay. My biggest issue with this, A, no Alabama fan is embarrassed that their team is a 31 and 0. No, because uh, no one else is. No one else is. is. Yeah, right. even UCLA, no, Minnesota isn't either. No. Oh, we uh, beat Minnesota. Yeah, we yeah, did. Twice. Arizona as well. Uh-huh. So no one is embarrassed that Alabama is 31 and 0 if they support the program. Right. Here's the second part about it. They're embarrassed it. we're not playing in original America. That's yeah. About <laughs> oh, gosh. Here, <laughs> here is the second part of it. I went back through the Minnesota schedule. They, you know, they played a couple teams. This year's schedule or the? The, the 2017 okay, team. Okay, got it. Yes, yes. But 
They also went 22-1 and one in conference play. Alabama's not going to do that this year. The SEC's a bit tough. I would like for it to happen, but the yeah, SEC's tough. It could happen. It, it, uh, maybe. <laughs> but one game, right. maybe not. Minnesota lost most of their games in the regular season in non-conference play. Mm-hmm. They played not a ton of top 25 games. Right. They beat LSU. They lost to Washington twice, and they beat Cal. That yeah. was it. But they had the two losses. Alabama won every game against the top 25 mm-hmm. one on the road a true road game yep. which does matter mm-hmm. and two at home against a minnesota team that is only going to raise higher in the rankings zero losses that is important any loss drags that down no losses for alabama against the top 25 so far this year no losses overall right my final part about that is you know you talk about alabama strength of schedule you say they play cupcakes again i will reiterate alabama is 31 and 0 Alabama is 31 and oh we talked about Georgia they should have beaten Indiana I to get Indiana's better this year Georgia should not be losing to Indiana no they should not be losing to Virginia Tech they should not be losing to Elon and only having one run going into the seventh mm-hmm. that should not happen and they shouldn't lose to North Carolina right and they probably shouldn't even lose two to Missouri so all of these teams that are ahead of Alabama in the rankings, ahead of Alabama in the RPI. They've also lost some games to questionable teams. Florida State lost to Grand Canyon. Mm-hmm. Doesn't make sense, but it happened. It's sports. So yes. It's, yes. So the fact that Alabama has gone through this schedule, difficult mm-hmm. level of difficulty, be darned, yeah. and won every game, that says a lot to me. Yeah. And the fact that somebody would make the reference about Minnesota, you yeah. know, I, I kind of, maybe, but... No, no, no one is embarrassed about it. And also, let me just be quite frank. Minnesota, I, I'm not trying to to make the Tim Brando argument about the college football playoff, but I, I kind of am. If Alabama were 53 and three, they're not not hosting a regional. Right. Minnesota, they were new to the scene. They were the new kids. And, and a lot think. of people didn't, didn't buy into them in the Big Ten. That's why they didn't host. Right. Their strength of schedule did not help them. Alabama at, you know, 50 and nine, you know, even if all those nine losses came in conference play and maybe one of them was to Georgia Tech, I hope not. But if that were to happen, they're hosting regionals and probably hosting supers, supers because yeah. it's Alabama. And right. that's kind of how softball works. It would happen with Florida. It would happen with UCLA. Arizona would be in the same boat as well. Uh, Florida State, all of those teams, if you are one of the perennial powers in softball, you get the benefit of the doubt. Right. I totally agree. And then you look at also, I remember Minnesota – because and one of the things I think that happened with Minnesota when they came here, they never got over the fact that they were not hosting. Yeah, it, they never got over it. And some of it was because everyone kept asking about them. But that, that was that was the story of the of the regional was that the number one team in the nation didn't host. So, you know, you kind of got at some at the coach got mad at that, the uh, press for asking about it. And but trying to say that they played a good non-conference schedule when they didn't. And they you know tried to hang their hat on. Yeah, well, we beat Texas. It wasn't very good last year. It wasn't very good that year. You know, we beat North Carolina. We beat Cal, those type of teams. Well, okay, but those aren't, you know, it wasn't that that big of it. And then you get into the Big Ten, and you got no help there. No. You know, and I think they they even didn't play Michigan that year. Yeah, I think that's right, actually. Yeah, because they they didn't have a series with them. Right, they didn't. So that's that's where they didn't play Michigan. Right, because I remember saying they should have scheduled a non-conference series against Michigan that year the sec is going to help alabama mm-hmm. even if there's some extra losses in there the strength of schedule of the sec is going to help alabama that did not help minnesota and you know alabama at number 11 in the rpi i don't remember minnesota being even that high in the rpi no. that year either 
So saying that they were number one, they were number one in the polls. They were not number one in the RPI. If they were number one in the RPI, they would have been hosting. Obviously. Obviously. Yeah. So I'm glad that we got to air these grievances. That's what you, you know, that's what we got to do. That's why the podcast exists. All this other stuff is great. You know, wonderful interviews. I just like to vent. So thanks for allowing that to happen. Absolutely. Yeah. This is the uh, third episode of the out of the box podcast. And it's been a great one. Thank you to Sydney Little John for hopping on with us. You know, we, we broke down Alabama, the SEC. We've talked a lot about it. And uh, thank you again for listening. We, we've got a lot planned. Next episode is going to be fantastic as well. We've got, you know, a, a couple guests already lined up. It's going to be action-packed. But this has been fun, Tom. Absolutely. It's, yeah. let's, uh, let's do it again. Absolutely. Well, we will next week. <laughs> yes. So, uh, Tom, where can people find you on social media? Uh, you go to uh, Twitter, and it's at T Canterbury, R-T-R, and uh, Canterbury is C-A. N-T-E-R-B-U-R-Y. I saw there were a couple people that were trying to get in touch with us uh, during their uh, uh, softball after dark that we did <laughs> when we when we asked for Twitter submissions and they were misspelling my last name. So C-A-N-T-E-R-B-U-R-Y-R-T-R is uh, is mine. And again, very unbiased. Very unbiased. I'm as unbiased as a biased man can be. <laughs> that should be your uh, profile on Twitter. <laughs> uh, my Twitter is at gray, G-R-A-Y. That is A, we're in America. A-Y, G-R-A-Y underscore Robertson. Again, at gray underscore Robertson. And you can follow the show at out of the box underscore pod. And of course, you can listen to me and Tom this weekend against Texas A&M. Game times are at 6-2-1, and one, I believe, against Texas A&M in College Station. That's Friday, Saturday, Sunday, 6-2-1 p.m. on 93.3 FM. Yeah, we're always on at 10 minutes before first pitch uh, with our pregame and usually get to talk with Coach Murphy and there's some very interesting stuff that we hear from Coach. So if you can, tune in to us in the 10 minutes before first pitch and we'll be with you. Uh, all year long on the Crimson Tide Sports Network. Absolutely. We are together for the rest of the year, wherever that right. road ends. And if you're not in Tuscaloosa, um, you can just go to RollTide.com and on, click on Listen Live and you get the streaming of that audio. Because uh, if you go to 93.3 and somewhere other than Tuscaloosa, it won't be us. It won't be the praise <laughs> and then it won't be us. Uh, what a great show. Again, thank you to Sydney Littlejohn for joining us. And thank you to all of you for tuning in again. Follow the show on Twitter at out of the box underscore pod. Well, we've done it. We've rounded the bases and now we're going to College Station. We, uh, we've got a three-game series this weekend, and then we'll be back next week for episode four of the podcast. So for my partner, Tom Canterbury, I am Gray Robertson. Thank you again to Sydney Littlejohn. We will see all of you next time here on Out of the Box. Out of the Box.